0: What's up, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Fun and Gains podcast. Listen, today's episode, you are in for a treat. I don't know how I got so lucky to be able to have this interview, but I am extremely stoked to share this with you. There are so many golden nuggets. You need to listen to this entire podcast episode. I think it's really gonna help benefit you and just, again, ring in that health is for life. Health encompasses more than just what you look like. It's what you feel like. It is physical, it is mental, it is spiritual, it is emotional. Health is our entire well-being, our wellness. It is so much more, again, than just a number on the scale. In today's episode, we are talking all about resistance training, strength training for women, why that is the best method, and get all of you on board to some form of strength training. Again, you all know that is my preferred method of training. We are going to be talking all about results and how to get them, the best way to go about that. So you guys, I'm going to introduce our guest today. On today's podcast, we're having Salda Stefano on for some fun and a lot of gains, you guys sal has over 20 years as a personal trainer and he has dedicated himself to bringing science and truth to the fitness industry you all know how important it is to include science when it comes to health and fitness i think that is so important it holds so much value understanding the research reading the research being involved in that so i sincerely appreciate that sal and his team over at mind pump are really focusing on that and helping spread awareness to the correct information instead of false information and we talk a little bit about that on this podcast episode as well and as many of you already know sal is the co-founder of mind pump media and co-host of mind pump the number one podcast online radio show when it comes to science-based fitness and health information. The number one. So this is such a treat for all of us. I am so excited and lucky to be able to share our conversation with you today. Sal has seriously dedicated his life to prioritizing health over appearance and you'll hear today how he works to help shift that direction of the fitness industry from insecurity-based fads to taking care of the body you have for life. If you listened to this podcast before, you know how adamant I am on telling you to not fall for the fads, to get in this, do it right the first time around, make this a healthy lifestyle, make those habit changes, change your behavior, and you will be healthier and happier overall. And since Sal has so much experience and knowledge in this space, I've asked you guys a lot of questions, myths that you want busted. We go in on this episode, Sal busts a ton of those myths for you just so you can get clarity, a true and firm answer. There's going to be a lot that you're going to learn from this episode. You might even need a notepad and a pen, jot it all down, save it. Listen to this podcast a couple times, soak it in. And without further ado, let's welcome Sal to the podcast. What's up, everybody? Today, I'm welcoming Sal DiStefano from Mind Pump Media to the podcast. Say what's up. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me on. This is going to be, yes, yeah, this is great. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no, I'm really excited because I feel like a lot of people have definitely heard of Mind Pump media you guys have been out for a bit we just talked you said seven years so yeah
1: we've been doing this for seven years now and um i mean we're trainers we had no media experience and uh the goal was to to kind of i guess take down the myths and the bad information in the fitness industry and have fun doing it and it seemed to work so we have turned it into this big podcast and it's been great it's been a blessing
0: i love it that's actually exactly what I'm excited to talk about on the podcast today is I even asked my followers, I was like, what are a bunch of fitness myths that we hear that we can debunk today? But before we go and do you want to give a quick little background on yourself? Introduce yourself?
1: Yeah. And- so uh, I've been a professional in the fitness uh, space now for over two decades. So I started out um, as a trainer, as a kid, I was only 18 years old and walked into, I've been working out for years, but I walked into a gym, wanted to be a trainer, got hired. And very quickly um, just flourished there. I loved it, right? Loved working with people. I love fitness. Uh, Became a manager of the fitness department. Then I became a general manager, started grand opening gyms, and then eventually left, opened my own wellness facility, which included personal training, but we also had massage therapy, uh, acupuncture, hormone testing, gut testing. And I did this, uh, gosh, it's been probably at least 17, 18 years now ago that I did this a long time ago. And I wanted a place where someone could go in and through different modalities, really improve uh, their health. And it was a small facility and I totally loved it. And I learned a lot because of the other modalities in my space. So I was the the trainer, right? So I understood exercise. I understood macronutrients, proteins, fats, carbs, and calories, but I had very little understanding of, of wellness in other areas. But working with these other practitioners, it was so fun because I got to learn from them and watch them, and ask them questions, and, and see the value that they brought to the clients that we shared. And so that whole experience really molded me into the person uh, that you hear now on my podcast uh, on Mind Pump. Uh, about seven years ago, started the podcast with my partners Adam Schaefer, Justin Andrews, and Doug Eggie. and um, the goal was really to just be able to sell the right information better than the bad guys are selling the wrong information, which is really no easy feat. You know, I mean, here I am trying to beat the message that, you know, a supplement company selling that says we're going to get you to lose 30 pounds in 30 days by taking our pill. And I'm over here saying, it's going to take you a year and you're gonna to have to change your behaviors. And it's uh, you know, it's your relationship to food and exercise. It's like, how do I out compete that bad information And so, but that was the goal. That was the goal. How can we do this? Let's make the show entertaining. Let's communicate the way that we have found to be effective with our clients. And thankfully it resonated and it grew. And, um, so that's what I do now. Now I host the mind pump podcast and we put together workout programs. Um, that's how we monetize. So people can follow good workouts. Um, I do talks as well and write blogs, but mainly it's the podcast and it's, it's been super cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you just wrote a book too. Well, I, I guess did. when did your book come out?
1: Yeah. So I got a, I've got wanted to write about uh, resistance training or strength training for a long time. And I don't mean like write a book that like explains it or yeah. teaches people the most effective way necessarily. I wanted to write a book that overcame the myths and the stigma surrounding strength training um, and really... Uh, explain why this form of exercise is really one of the best forms of exercise for health and longevity for everybody, which, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that when people think they want to improve their health, or they want to lose weight, they tend to look at, at maybe cardio as the first line of defense or the first type of exercise. Strength training is just it's so good. It's, it's actually superior in many different ways. And I've wanted to write this book for a long time, I just didn't have the time, you know, mind pump got real busy. And, But then I got approached by a publishing company and they said, Hey, we like your show. And we'd like to know if you, if you have any ideas for a book. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've been running to write this book for years. I gave them my proposal and they, they said, great. And so we published it, um, you know, about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And, um, it's been doing great. And that's really the gist of the book, right? It's, I break down strength training, why it's such a great form of exercise for fat loss, for heart health for functional flexibility, for hormone health. Um, I also dispel a lot of the myths strength, you know, sur- uh, surrounding strength training, like, you know, is it going to make me big and bulky? Like, this is something that a lot of women are afraid of. And mm-hmm. um, is it going to make me stiff? Um, is this good for my heart? You know, what about longevity? Um, and I wrote it in a way where it's really un- for the average person. So the average person can pick this up, really understand it and implement it. Um, into their lives. And I also wrote it for coaches and trainers to kind of arm them with the right tools and and methods of communication so they could do this for their clients. So they could really talk to their clients about why this is such a great form of exercise.
0: Yeah. I loved reading your book. You did a really good job. Honestly, you probably get enough praise, but yeah, no, I love anything about resistance training and empowering women in the gym, especially and realizing that that is the for sure superior method a lot of girls will start out, they call them like cardio bunnies, right? They'll start on the treadmills and they think that they just want to lose weight. That's the best way to do it or lose fat. Cardio is the best way. And it's just not. And I would love to talk about that. I'd love to even talk about we can start there or we can start off with why are women in the first place scared to lift weights?
1: Yeah. So if you, if you go back far enough and you look at the, I guess the fitness space, it, it really was male dominated for a long time. Um, really it was men that went to gyms and worked out and it wasn't a very profitable industry, but it did exist. And the people representing strength training were these really extreme bodies like bodybuilders, right? Like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and pumping iron and action heroes. And so a lot of women just didn't identify with that. Well, sometime in the eighties, I'd say probably mid to late eighties, the gym industry realized like we need to attract women. If we're going to become a business, they're a large consumer base. And so what they did is they, Started to advertise fitness in a very, I guess, dishonest way, trying to kind of goad women into coming in. And so they would say things like, come take our classes and tone your body, which, um, you know, in, in medical jargon, tone refers to the ability of a muscle to contract and relax, like from the signal from the central nervous system. But what the fitness industry did is they took that term and they gave it a different definition to mean muscles that feel hard, right? That feel firm. Because, God forbid, we tell women they build, right? Yep. The truth is muscles don't tone, they build or they shrink. That's all they do. And, and really, when you feel firm, it's because your muscles have built a little bit. Yep. And they change the, their, their layouts. So you had women's only areas. Like the first gym that I worked in as a trainer back in 1997 had a women's only area. And I remember walking in there for the first time and just being like, this is ridiculous. It was literally the same equipment you saw in the general area except it would have like pink upholstery and the dumbbells were only up to 10 pounds. I thought this is so condescending. (laughs) This is so ridiculous. And they'd come up with classes and say, you know, sculpt and build long lean muscle and, you know, do with a million reps and that's what'll do it for you. When in reality it's building strength and muscle is what gets you there um, the fastest. So women have been misled for just kind of a long time. You also had this general misunderstanding of the most effective way to get lean, right? We, we've been in an obesity epidemic now for decades. And the, and this is true. In order to lose weight, you have to take in less calories and you burn. This is a, a law of physics. And so what they did is they took a logical step forward, which is they said, okay, eat less. And then let's, let's take all forms of exercise and let's rank them in order of calorie burn, because that's what we think is the most important. And so they put Cardio at the top, because, you know, running for an hour will burn more calories than any other form of exercise in that same hour. The problem with that is we ignore the actual most important benefit of exercise, which is what types of adaptation do these forms of exercise induce in the body? Like, in other words, how does my body adapt to this exercise? And then what does that mean? In fact, the calorie burn that you do while you exercise is the least important factor. It's actually not that important at all. It's all about the adaptations. And when you look at adaptations, what you find is lots of cardiovascular activity like running or cycling or swimming. What you're telling your body to do is to build lots of stamina and endurance and also to become very efficient with calorie burn. So what your body does is that it actually pairs muscle down and your body learns how to burn less calories. It slows down its metabolism. So When someone loses 10 pounds with cardio only and diet, they tend to lose about four or five pounds of muscle. So you've lost 10 pounds, but half of it was muscle and you're almost, or essentially the same body fat percentage you were before. So you're just a smaller, same flabbiness, uh, but slower metabolism version of yourself. So when people follow this strategy, they lose weight, some weight very quickly, but then they plateau really hard. And then they're left with the scenario where they go, okay, I have to do more exercise or eat even less to make any further progress, and if you follow that along um, the path, you end up in a situation that's very hard to maintain. It's like, okay, I'm eating 1,200 calories, I'm doing you know 45 minutes of cardio five days a week, and I have to do this forever to keep the 20 pounds off that I lost. It's that's a tough thing to do when you consider the average person and, and con- in the context of modern life, like most people are not fitness fanatics. So on the flip side, you know, I talk about strength training because strength training is very different. Strength training or resistance training, although you don't burn a lot of calories while you do it, the adaptations that it induces revolve around building strength and building muscle, and the consequence of which is a faster metabolism. So initially, the weight loss doesn't happen as quickly. And part of the reason of that is you actually do lose fat, you actually, but you gain muscle at the same time. So you might lose four pounds of fat but gain four pounds of muscle. So on the scale, it looks the same and. Also side note, muscle takes up about, I don't know, a little more than two thirds the space that body fat does. So in other words, if you lost 10 pounds of fat and gained 10 pounds of muscle, you'd be smaller because muscle is much denser, right? But nonetheless, the weight on the scale doesn't move down as quickly, but then the metabolism starts to speed up because muscle is a very metabolically active tissue. And the, and also the process of building muscle tells the body it's okay to burn more calories we don't need to be as efficient. And so you end up with a faster metabolism. And over time, you get this kind of snowball effect of fat loss. And then you end up in this situation, which is I've seen numerous times where a client will lose 30 pounds and eat more at the end of this journey. So they can actually eat more than they did in the beginning to maintain their weight loss. And that's a much more sustainable approach. Um, And there's so much more that goes to this. Like there's the hormone benefits. um, There's the functional flexibility. I mean, we can get into all these but uh, women have been sold a lot of terrible information. There's a lot of fear around, you know, if I if I lift weights, I'm going to look like a guy or like a bodybuilder. If it's okay, I'd like to kind of touch on that a little bit. Please do. Yeah. So, so first off, building lots of muscle, the kind of muscle that will make somebody, <laughs> you know, insecure about how much muscle they build yeah. is very hard to do. It's also almost impossible for most women. So um, just to kind of break it down, there's a spectrum of muscle building genes or genetics, how much muscle I can actually build. And on one end of the spectrum, you have people with like, um, you know, strength and, you know, genetic muscle defects or issues. So like muscular dystrophy or like rare, but, but, but terrible genetic issues. And then way over here, you have these really rare hyper responder muscle builders, but they're super rare. Most people are somewhere in the middle, but just to illustrate how rare this is, it's, it's about as rare as being seven feet tall. So like, think about like, you know, walking around in everyday life. How many times have you seen someone that's seven feet tall? If uh, Besides ever going to an NBA game, have you ever seen anybody in real life that's seven feet tall? Yeah, not really. Yeah. Maybe once. And you remember it like, oh yeah, there was, you know, I remember once I was at the airport. There was this guy that was super, super rare. Like nobody's seven foot tall, right? Yeah. That's how rare it is to have the kind of genetics where you work out and you just build lots of muscle. It's very, very rare. And it's even more rare for women than it is for men. So what am I saying here? You could, you're a woman and you're watching this. You could lift weights and train like a bodybuilder. And what you'll accomplish is a very tight sculpted physique. You're not going to get, even if you did, by the way, have those super rare genetics, which you would be blessed to have those. (laughs) It still wouldn't happen overnight. What would happen is over the course of six or seven months or a year, you'd get these incredible results and this fast metabolism. And then you'd say, okay, that's it. I don't want to build any more muscle. In which case you would just maintain, which is super easy. Maintaining is really easy. So this is, you don't need to worry about this. If anything, what you'll do is you'll over time, the average woman may gain six pounds of lean muscle in in the first year of training. It slows down after that. She'll get a much faster metabolism, but she's just going to feel tighter and have more curve. The butt will lift. The hamstrings will be more developed, more shaped to the shoulders and arms, and then have this metabolism. That's just, uh, that's just roaring. Um, you know, one of the other challenges is, uh, is the scale. We're, We're so conditioned to look at the scale um, but the scale really just tells you a total weight. Like you could cut your leg off and lose 20 pounds, but you know, that wouldn't be the kind of weight that you want to lose. The scale doesn't tell you body fat percentage, you know, like I, I'm about, I don't know. I probably walk around around eight, 9% body fat. I weigh about 210 pounds. I'm about six feet tall. If my body fat was 20% at 210 pounds, I would look very different. Yeah. I would be obese. Right. Um, the same is true for women. You know, I used to have this female trainer. That worked for me. She was very petite. And I used to bring her in my office to illustrate this point to potential members. And I would do this challenge to a member. I'd say, you know, if you could guess this trainer's body weight within 10 pounds, I'll give you a free membership for six months. And they would always be like, oh, yeah, I'll try that. And then she would walk in and they'd be like, oh, she's like 90 pounds or 100 pounds. Or I think the highest I ever got was 110. She was 130 pounds. She just was lean and she had a, a good amount of muscle, but people thought she weighed 20 or 30 pounds lighter because muscle just looks uh, so much different. So the fears surrounding strength training for women is so false and it's scaring women away from one of the most effective forms of exercise, especially when it comes to hormones, like nothing balances your hormones like strength training. And I've seen so many women cause so much damage to the hormones by overtraining cardio and under eating Um, this is what, it's one of the first things that I recommend.
0: Yeah. Honestly, I feel like for me, most of the people, even guys, I'll take guys, right? A lot of guys are 18. They want to get huge. They look at sebum, they look at Arnold and they're like, how do I get that big? And most of them, some, not all, but you have to take steroids. They have to take some type of thing to even get that massive. So for a female to even be any type of scared that they're going to get massive. Most guys that you see, not most, I'm sorry. I don't mean to generalize. But I think a high majority have to take some type of enhancer. Some, again, that just for females, it's pretty much out of the question that you're going to get any type of bulky. You're going to get exactly what you said, the results. Toned, you're going to, I hate the word toned, but you're going to have more dense lean muscle where you look smaller than you are. And I love that you mentioned in your book too, people are always wanting to shrink themselves Mm -hmm. versus using resistance training is what actually builds. So if you want to talk a little bit on that, you talk like your body shape.
1: Yeah. You mentioned
0: like you're just a smaller version of that instead of building in areas that you want to actually have.
1: Yeah. You know, it's really cool about, and you know, I actually want to comment on what you said about, um, some of these really hyper muscular looking people taking, uh, performance enhancing drugs. You're you're absolutely right. It's also in combination with those extreme genetics though. So I'll be quite honest with you. I could take as many steroids as mr olympia and i will never look like uh mr olympia so you have a combination of perfect factors that create these mutant looking people and there's women that will look like this as well they won't even get nearly as big as guys but they'll also look quite crazy no so you have no worries i promise yeah. you. Like, no nobody- worries ladies <laughs> yeah don't you know don't don't worry about that uh situation um okay yeah in terms of getting smaller you you can lose weight, but lose muscle and just be flabby, right? Just take your clothes off or feel soft and actually be weaker. Muscle is uh, gives you shape. You can also here's one of the great things about strength training. I can more so with strength training than other forms of exercise. Like a sculptor, I can shape my body somewhat, right? So I can choose exercises that focus more on this area versus versus that area and bring up, you know, maybe you say to yourself, you know, I have really nice quads, but my hamstrings don't seem to be very developed. Well, I can train my quads less and build up my hamstrings more and develop the shape that I'm looking for. Right. Or you look in the mirror and you say, you know, um, I like my arms, uh, but my shoulders, I think I'd like to have more, more shape to my shoulders. Same thing. You could train your arms less and, and train your shoulders more. It's also and you know, since we're talking about women, it's also an incredibly empowering feeling to be strong. And I don't, you know, as a man, I didn't, I never understood this until I'll never forget. I t- I've told this story so many times on my podcast, but I had this female client um, and I trained, I'd say most of the clients I trained were women and that were, were women. And that's just how uh, personal training clients tend to skew. I'd say probably 60 to 70% of my clients were, were women. Remember this one woman I trained, she was very petite, uh, high performing executive, very successful. Um, But she was very small. She was like uh, maybe a hundred pounds. And she hired me because she wanted her. Her mom had osteoporosis. She was worried about her bones getting weaker. So we were focusing on strengthening her body and strengthening her bones. And she used to travel quite a bit for work. And I'll never forget. She came back from a trip and she was like almost in tears. And she goes, I had such a great experience on the plane. I said, well, what happened? She goes, I put my bag in the overhead uh, compartment. And I, you know, I never, it it never dawned on me because as a guy that never really was a problem. Although nowadays you see a lot of guys struggle with that too. But as she goes, you don't understand. She goes, I'm small and I always have to ask some dude to help me out. She goes, and I did it myself. She goes, you know how empowering that feels to be able to do things because I have the strength. So I never really understood that before, but I did after that. It's a very empowering feeling to feel solid and secure in your own body to feel like you can do things and move with stability that comes from strength. Now you don't need to become a champion strength athlete or a power lifter, but you know, if you're a female and you strengthen yourself to the point where you could squat your body weight, or you could do 10 push push-ups, or you might be able to do one pull-up. Like imagine how that feels in everyday life when you're moving boxes or the couch or, opening a jar or doing anything right. You yes. just feel so, so secure in your, it's an incredible feeling. It really is. And once I realized that I would ask my female clients, um, after, you know, after a few months of training, do you feel, how do you feel in your body? And they'd all say, Oh, it's surprised you asked me that I feel so much more secure and empowered. like, oh, Okay. This is really, really cool. So it's a really, really cool feeling. And I will say this, I do got to give some credit, uh, to, to women working out these days, it was way worse when I first became a trainer. I mean, when I first became a trainer, there, you didn't see a single woman in the in the free weight area like at all, nobody. Today, I'm seeing, you know, a good 30% of the people in the in the weight area are women. So it's we've made big um improvements, but there's still a long way to go, especially for general population. Like if you're not a fitness fanatic and you're just trying to get in shape, um they still need to hear this message. But fitness fanatics i think are starting to get it like if you start getting to working out and you start reading about it at some point you're like oh okay i need to do some some strength training this is where it's at
0: yeah can we talk a little bit about fitness fanatics versus people who are just trying to live a healthy life because i feel like you know there's two different types of people some people i assume, like you and me we freaking love the gym We love Mm to work out. It's a total part of our life. We love it. And there's other people who they like to go two, three times a week. They want to still see results, but something that's a little bit more obtainable, more realistic for them. Do you want to talk a little bit maybe on some tips you would give for that?
1: Yeah. First off, if you're a trainer or a coach and you're watching this, uh, this was a learning lesson for me as an early trainer is that realize that most people are not going to be fitness fanatics. Okay. So fitness, if you are, you're probably going to work in the space, right? In the fitness space. Most people um, just want to improve the quality of their life and the most we could hope for for the average person in terms of consistency, lifelong consistency with exercise, about two or three days a week. We're, we, you can't expect uh, the average person to do structured exercise five or six days a week. It's just not going to happen. Two or three days a week is what we're going to get out of them. So we need to make it as effective as possible. By the way, effective doesn't mean hard. I think we've confused intensity with effectiveness. Mm-hmm. This is a big problem. Intensity is a tool, but uh, it's not at all the metric that'll tell you if a workout um, is effective. In fact, how I recommend people do strength training is to not go to the gym to try to work out and you know beat my legs up or hammer my back, but rather practice exercises, treat it like a skill. So if you go to the gym and you have four exercises on your list, let's say you're going to do a squat and a bench press and a row and an overhead press don't go in there and think, beat my legs up, you know, hammer my shoulders, you know beat up my instead think this is a skill, let me practice this skill, let me perfect this skill. That'll take you so much further, so much further in terms of results in terms of you know injury prevention, all that stuff. But yeah, that's the most we could hope for. and that's great and you can get great results that. like you can accomplish with two or three days a week of, of consistent exercise, you could get a body that is healthy, relatively lean, fit, um, and, and just derive so many incredible benefits. Now, will you look like the most shredded person in Instagram? Probably not. Uh, you know, are you going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, on a stage competing? No, probably not, but you're going to get pretty darn far and it's going to be sustainable and maintainable. And to be quite honest with you, you'll, you'll look the way that most people want to look anyway. I think most people don't really care to look like the most shredded, you know, person or whatever. They just want to be fit and healthy And that's the approach right there. So now that also poses some other challenges because fitness fanatics love exercise so much that you don't need to necessarily motivate them to work out. Right. It's like, they love it, but the average person, it's really a tool to improve the quality of their life. And so sometimes that becomes a struggle. How do I stay consistent? How does this something that I maintain? Well, you want to first realize that, um, you don't want to, you don't want to rely on motivation. Motivation is uh, a feeling. Okay. Um, Not unlike happiness or sadness or excitement. It's not with you forever. It's, it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes you're motivated. Sometimes you're not. So if you rely on motivation, what you'll end up with is on, off, on, off. Sometimes I'm working out. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm working out. Sometimes I'm not. When I'm motivated, it's good. When I'm not, I'm not doing it. Instead what we want to do is we want to develop strategies that keep us consistent when we're not motivated. And that's really about developing the skill of discipline.
0: Yeah. And
1: that and that is a skill. It is a skill you can develop over time. What does that look like? It looks like this. To put it plainly. Look can, look at what you want to accomplish and say, what's one step I can take towards that that is challenging yet realistic? For me to maintain forever. Okay. Not right now, forever. You have to use the context of forever. Okay. So it needs to be somewhat challenging because if it's not, then it doesn't have any meaning, right? If it's easy, then it doesn't mean anything to you. But it also needs to be forever realistic because otherwise you're setting yourself up for failure. And whatever that step is for you, that's the right answer. There is no wrong answer here. So it could literally be I'm going to walk for 10 minutes on Mondays. Okay. Or it could be, I'm going to start working out three days a week, right? Whatever that is for you, you have to, and you have to answer that question. Honestly, you have to be very honest and consider all your states of mind, not just the motivated one that you're in now, but rather when three months, when I lose motivation, is this realistic in a year from now, when life gets busy, is this realistic? Okay. So start there and then just do that. And then here's what's going to happen. When that becomes a part of your habit, when that becomes a part of your Of your kind of your life and you're consistent with it and you enjoy that, whatever that is, or you find value in it, then ask yourself that question again. What's another step I can take that's challenging yet realistic forever. And here's what tends to happen. The steps tend to get bigger. You tend to trend with this kind of faster uh, progress. And at the end of a year, you make some really big changes. Now I know it sounds slow and yes, it is slower than going from no working out to six days a week of exercise. But unless you're looking for um, results that come and go, unless you're trying to lose weight and gain it back, get fit and get out of shape, um, this is the only way to make permanent changes. So ask yourself this question each time and you'll find, and I used to do this with clients. I used to do this with clients and it was so successful. Like I, I had this one client, she came to me because her doctor, who was my client, so I trained her doctor, finally convinced her to come see me. So this woman was a a cancer survivor and she'd been struggling with energy and pain and you know, kind of like just not feeling very good. And then her her doctor, who was my client, kept telling her, you got to go see Sal. He's a really good trainer. Finally, she said, fine, I'm going to go see this guy. So she shows up and she first words out of her mouth. She goes, I'm not working out by myself. So I'm never going to do what, I'm not going to do any exercise on my own. I'm not changing my diet, so don't even try. And I'm only going to come in once a week. So is it worth it? I said, absolutely. It's one more day a week than you're doing now. Absolutely. It's perfect, and we can go a long way with that. And I never pushed her to do anything else. And you know what happened? We worked out for a w- once a week, and she started to feel stronger, started to kind of enjoy the process. This took a few months. But then she came to me and she said, Hey, Sal, do you have another opening during the week, I think I'd like to come twice a week. I said, absolutely. Let's do twice a week. And then she came twice a week. And then we did that consistently. And then what do you think happened a few months later? She came up to me and she said, is there anything I can do on my own at home? Like maybe some exercises while I watch TV? Absolutely. Here's a few. Let me give you these three exercises. And then she did that. And then she came up to me one day and she said, you know, Sal, I think I eat too much sugar. I'd like to start cutting sugar out of my diet. Over the course of a few years, this woman legit became a fitness fanatic. But it was through this process, she really started to learn to fall in love with the journey. And when you love the journey, the destinations take care of themselves, right? So this is the process of building discipline. If you use this strategy, your odds of success are far greater than the the way that we tend to approach this, which has a fail rate of, I think it's 85% or higher within the first couple of years.
0: Yeah. And I feel like going back to your point, it 100% is about just making it a lifestyle. And I love your small tip of find a goal when you're unmotivated because motivation seriously comes and goes. I feel like we all feel that. And it is yep. back to discipline, back to those habits that we've formed and truly making it a lifestyle because it is forever. And I feel like too many people just want a quick fix. And that's how it's pitched in the media and in society is 30 days, 90 days, get your results where it's much Longer than that. That's what I'm that's what I'm always talking. It's what I'm always preaching yeah. on this podcast. I knew having you on was going to be good because it's a second voice to solidify yeah. everything I've been saying. I love it. You
1: know, what, what they're doing with that is they're trying to sell you a product and they're talking to the motive they're talking to your newly motivated self. So whenever somebody's looking for a new weight loss diet or or uh, supplement or workout. It's probably because they've been thinking about losing weight, thinking about working out for a long time. And then something set off a spark. They said, that's it. I'm getting started. So now they're in this kind of motivated state of mind. Then they search for something. And then that's who they're talking to. Oh, you want to do this? Boom. We're going to hammer you. It's the the hardest workout of your life. Six days a week. You're going to get in shape. and It's going to be great. And oh, take this pill. And it's so awesome. I'm going to do all that. Right. Um, It doesn't, it's, there's, uh, you're, you're going to fail eventually with that. I promise you. Yeah. So it's a longer process. If you're serious about doing this so that it works for you forever, um, then how I'm explaining is how it works. And we have to remember this. This is very important. Um, Humans are not computers. Okay. We're not robots. We're emotional, behavior based creatures. Okay. So you can't look at a list of things to do and just, do it. And that work, if it, if that was the case, we'd ha- we wouldn't have an obesity epidemic. It would be easy. People would just be like, let me look at my calories. Let me cut my calories down. Oh, I need to exercise. <laughs> let me plug this in and structure my day. And then boom, it doesn't work that way. We're, we're behavior based and there's emotions behind this stuff. So you have to work with that, understand yourself yeah. and yeah. take yourself there slowly so that you give yourself the opportunity to develop this relationship with exercise and this relationship with diet. That is long lasting. That is forever. It's like, do it once, do it right. You'll never have to go back. That's the, that's the message I try to preach.
0: Yes. I can't scream it from the rooftops. Seriously. that honestly, so I had a baby. I don't know if you know, I have a two year old son and people are like, how did you do it? How, how, you know, are you shredded again? Honestly, I did it once I built the habits. I created a lifestyle that's legitimately something that I can do every single day. It's something I now love. And it's been five years. Yeah. It's it's been 5 years. It's not something that is super quick. It takes so much time and it's showing up on the days where you don't want to show up. You have that discipline and that's what I try to tell people to help encourage them that you got to find whatever that is that works for them 100%. That's what it's all about.
1: Yeah, and you know, exercise and, you know, eating right and exercise. So we'll we'll call that let's say fitness and nutrition, although it's it's much broader, right? But Yeah. It's a it's really is a tool they're both tools that you need that you can use to improve the quality of your life in the context of your life as it is. So what does that mean? Okay. Um, let's say, uh, I'm under a lot of stress. Uh, i have lost my job, you know, or I'm going through a divorce or something, you know, something real stressful. Well, I can use exercise as a way to help. So I might not be going to the gym trying to, you know, hit new personal records in the gym or be the fastest version of myself, right? Because I'm under a lot of stress. So what am I doing now? I'm going to the gym and I'm thinking, how can I take care of myself in a way that's going to help me feel better? That might involve more mobility work or stretching It might involve lower intensity forms of exercise, right? Uh, what about if um, everything's going great and I have lots of energy and I feel great and life is awesome. Well, now I'm going to go to the gym and I can push it and I can really push myself and hit new limits or whatever, right? It needs to fit the context of your life and it needs to improve the quality of your life. If you use it as that as that tool, then it's something that you develop a lifelong relationship with. If your relationship is, I'm gonna be the fastest, strongest person. Well, when stuff happens in your life, you're not gonna be able to train for that. You're, you're not gonna wanna do it. You're gonna stop. It's not gonna work for you. You know. I remember, again, this, these are all lessons I learned. And I, I do wanna be clear. The things that I'm communicating, I learned through you know almost two and a half decades of training lots and lots and lots of everyday people, and training lots of trainers who trained lots of people, and we figured out what worked. And believe me, in the beginning, I did a lot of what didn't work. I did a lot of the oh, you want to come lose weight? I'm going to beat you up. We're going to cut your calories. We're going to hammer you. It's going to be the craziest workout of your life, and you get super sore. And it just didn't work because yes, people would lose weight, but they'd gain it back, or they'd fall off, and I couldn't figure it out. Well. I remember there was a turning point where as an early trainer, if a client would cancel on me, it was typically because they would call me and say something like, Hey, Sal, you know, I didn't sleep very good last night, or I'm really stressed out, or, you know, my knee kind of hurts. I need to skip our workout today. Well, when I started to really figure out how to use exercise, like I said, as this tool to improve the quality of someone's life in the context of their current life, I would get these calls. Hey, Sal, I know I don't have a workout schedule with you today, but I had a stressful day. Can you fit me in? Or, hey, Sal, my knee hurts. Can I come see you so we can do some stuff to make it feel better? And that's when I realized, like, okay, I I figured this out. Like, people are going because it's making them feel better right now. You know, that takes me to one more thing. Like, people always ask me, how do I judge the effectiveness of my workouts? Well, besides, you know, besides the results and besides getting stronger and all that stuff and feeling better. Here's an easy, immediate way, okay? Here's, a, here's an immediate way you know you're doing the wrong kind of workout. If you feel worse after your workout than you did before, it's the wrong workout. What do I mean by worse? You're dead. You feel like you just survived. You shouldn't survive your workouts. It shouldn't feel like you, and I've seen people do this where they're on the floor and they're like, oh my God, that was a, a great workout like because they survived it. You should feel more energy, better, more calm, Uh, you should literally feel more energized and healthier at the end of your workout than you did at the beginning. If at the end of your workout, you feel like you're barely crawling over to your car or like you're dead, or you need to go sit on the couch or I need to take a nap. You, you overdid it or you did the wrong thing. So you should feel better right away. That is one of the easiest, uh, metrics that I can give somebody to, to judge the effectiveness of the workouts.
0: So soreness is not always the best indicator of a good workout.
1: No, in fact, soreness is a yeah. great indicator that you overdid it. Um, I love it. Yeah. So you should, it's okay to feel a little sore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, you know, like you have to kind of stretch the muscle and be like, oh, okay. I think I worked out. Like, that's okay. If you're sore to the touch or you're sore for like two days, you overdid it. Um, if you're not sore, that doesn't mean you didn't have a good workout. That doesn't mean anything. In fact, I rarely ever get sore. Uh, my clients would get sore when we'd first start because we would kind of have to figure out the right intensity for them and then after that if they got sore i would scale things down you should not feel soreness soreness typically means uh you overdid it a little bit's okay a little soreness is okay or especially if you change into a new workout where you're trying to gauge you know the right intensity but no do not use soreness as a gauge if you do you will overdo it i promise you if you're one of those people that's chasing soreness man my legs weren't too sore last time i need to over i need to train even harder That is a terrible gauge and you're going to go down the path of overdoing it and along those lines you want to think of it's like okay think of it like medicine okay if you have an infection and the doctor gives you antibiotics is taking 10 times the dose of antibiotics going to be better or worse for you
0: right
1: (laughs) yeah oh yeah it might kill you right that's how it is for exercise too in the sense that it's a it's like a it's like a bell curve okay so Way over here is not enough to really get my body to change in the way that I want in the middle is the perfect dose. And then way over here is too much. And my body can't adapt because all it's worried about is healing. It's just trying to heal. And I I want, I want to be clear recovery and adaptation are two different things. Okay. So recovery would be, let me use uh, another analogy. It'd be like if I use sandpaper and I rub my hand raw, Well, first, my skin needs to heal. It needs to replace what was lost. Then it adapts by developing a callus so that my skin is tougher. Okay. So recovering adaptation, two different things. If I overdo exercise, all I'm ever doing is recovering. I'm never allowing my body to adapt. Mm. So it's like, get sore, recover, get sore, recover, get sore, recover. Never get stronger, never improve, never really see any results, but I'm getting sore. I'm sweating. I'm, you know, it's really hard. You're just, you're stuck on, on the hamster wheel. You're not going anywhere. You have to give your body the ability to, or the chance to not just recover, but also adapt. And oftentimes that happens somewhat simultaneously. So how do I know where the right dose is? It's different from person to person. If you never exercise, it doesn't take much to give you the right dose. It doesn't take much at all. If you never do anything, something, a little something is enough. Okay. If you exercise like I have for, decades and being consistent to get my body to improve any further, it's going to take a lot more than the average person. Okay. So consider that. So if you're doing nothing now, then going to the gym and going hard for an hour is way too much, way too much. Literally you could do two rounds of 10 body weight squats. If you never do that, and that'll be enough to get stronger. Now, as you progress, that's going to have to change. But the right dose will get you there faster. More will get you there slower or get you, or not get you there at all. You have to understand that because we've confused the feeling of pain and the intensity with success and progress. It doesn't work that way. And I do want to say this. If you do it right, you work with your body. It's a totally different feeling. It feels like this. I've had clients come to me and say this. They say, I-, I can't believe I'm getting leaner and more fit. I feel like it's just happening. Like I don't feel like I have to like force it. Well, you're working with your body. It should not feel like I'm clawing at it, you know,
0: yeah.
1: all the time. That's that that probably means you're doing too much if it feels that way.
0: Today, I'm welcoming a new podcast sponsor, Shrank Grills. If you haven't heard about these yet, today is the day. Darian and I cannot wait to move to Florida and start our hosting era, and this is the perfect way to do it. These grills heat up to over 1,500 degrees in less than five minutes, and it uses the exact same infrared technology as the world's best steakhouses. So things are going to cook really fast. Your steaks can be ready in as little as three minutes, and salmon as well. Big salmon girly over here. We're trying to get all of our protein gains, and this delivers on flavor because everything is juicier on a grill they also have a dip tray at the bottom this is probably my favorite feature of these grills you can let all the steak juices just drip to the bottom of the drip tray and then it's going to create these brown bits and you can add butter spices oils into that dip tray also and then pour all the juices back onto the steak and this makes such a big difference in flavor this This grill isn't just for steak, though. You can also cook chicken wings, hamburgers, seafood, even pizza with their pizza stone accessories. So if you've been on the fence for your summer grilling, look no further and get your Schwenk Grill today. That's spelled S-C-H-W-A-N-K, Schwenk Grills. You can use code FUNANDGAINS to get $150 off a Schwenk Grill. Skincare from the sea. You got that right. I'm introducing you into the brand OSEA. If you have not heard of them yet, this company is called O S E A. It stands for Ocean, Sun, Earth, and Atmosphere. And it is an amazing skincare and body care company. This company is vegan and cruelty free. They're climate neutral, certified, and ocean positive. It is a clean beauty company, checks all of the boxes. I love these products so much. I actually gave some away to some of you for the local event so that you could try them as well. Some of the favorite ones that I use are the body oil and lotion. And then I also love the hyaluronic serum and the ID puff serum. And every time I use them, I feel so luxurious. They also have a few gift sets that are going on for Mother's Day, which is really fun. They have a glow and go facial set and then a golden glow body set. I'm definitely going to get my mom one of these. I just don't know which yet. So go ahead and treat yourself or your mom to the everyday spa experience that you deserve. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code FUNGAINS at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head over to OSEAMalibu.com and use code FUNGAINS for 10% off. I think that's going to be really helpful for everybody listening. So thank you for talking on that because too many times people are like, oh, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. And I feel like mind to muscle connection is different than sore. Like like you said, you should be able to feel something. But yeah. honestly, okay, so you also talked progressive overload. Yeah. Maybe for beginners, that looks a lot different. It's a lot easier for some. If we're a little bit more on the advanced side, what would you say? Good tips for continuously adapting and progressing?
1: Yeah, so progressive overload, um, to put it plainly, is essentially, you know, your body adapts to a certain stress, and then it requires a bit more stress to get your body to adapt more. Okay. Now that's very that's the very plain. Simple explanation, but it's way more complex than that. Because if that were true, then I would I would have to be lifting a you know, 1,000 pounds to get my body to continue to progress by this point. And it's just not true, right? Yeah. So progressive overload me- could mean many different things. It can mean add weight to the bar or to the dumbbells. That's a very simple way, especially when you're a beginner. That's the, probably the, the easiest way. It could mean I slow down my repetitions. It could also mean I make the repetitions more explosive. It can mean uh, fuller ranges of motion or more stability, more control or better form. It can mean shorter rest periods or longer rest periods, depending on what's happening with the load that I'm using. Uh, It can mean different rep ranges. Um, It can mean lots of different things uh, in terms of how I'm training. Oftentimes it just means something different that's challenging. Like you could be very advanced, train a particular way for a long time and just change the type of workout that you do and then start to see results. For example, if you train in very low reps with long rest periods, which is a great way to train, let's say you do five reps and you're resting for two or three minutes in between sets, but you've done that now for a year, simply going to 12 reps with a minute rest in between sets is going to be enough of a change to get your body to continue uh, to progress. Um, You know, it is uh, one thing to note, the amount of volume in training required to keep muscle is way less than is required to get it so if you do the the latest study that i read was something like one ninth okay so one ninth the volume yeah so keeping here's what's great about strength training keeping what you got is way easier than getting there and if you ever lose it if you stop something happens you take a long break and you lose the five six pounds of muscle that you gained that took you a year to gain you can gain it back in like a couple months. There's something called muscle memory, which is phenomenal uh, adaptation uh, you know, of the body where you know, if I do all this hard work to get to a particular point and then I lose it when it comes to muscle, I can gain it back so much faster. This is really, really cool. In fact, there was a study that compared two groups of people where one group worked out for four weeks and then would take a week off and then four weeks and then take a week off. The other group never took a week off. Okay. And they did similar workouts, similar, you know, uh composition of groups and all that stuff. At the end of the study, in terms of muscle and strength, they were pretty much equivalent. That is so there cool. Was, there was no difference. Now, there are additional benefits to exercising consistently that are mental, psychological, all that stuff. So I don't want to discredit that, mm-hmm. but from a pure muscle perspective, there was no difference. It's a very forgiving form of exercise, which is really cool. Like I I can train with so much lower volume and intensity today to keep what I've built than it took, man, to get where I was for years and years and years. I had to train really hard and do all kinds of different things. Now to maintain it, it's it's quite easy. And this is good news for sustainability. I mean, if if you want to do this forever, like, isn't that great? That's a great thing to know, right?
0: It's the best. It's the best thing to know. You got to tell them. Everybody listening to the podcast, if you haven't already gotten on the strength training bandwagon, do it. It seriously will change your life because- it's so nice to be able to maintain. I feel like yeah. that's the stage I'm at now. I, I feel like I've built decent. And you know, I might go through another building phase of where I want to put on a little bit more muscle mass at some point, but it's so much easier to just maintain. It. How, long have, makes you been, it how like long have
1: you been doing it, Brittany? Five, how long have you
0: been? Five years. I started in like, well, I really started getting serious in 2018, but I started going to the gym in 2016, you know, figuring out what to do. But 2018 is when I'm like, okay, let me get educated. Let me start doing some research. Let me get, you know, certified try to figure out what to do yeah. and uh, really you're a, actually get into that's it. That's a
1: great point. Five years is a really good point because uh, what you probably have gotten to, and I love uh, exercise for this, it's one of the most unassuming personal growth vehicles uh, that you'll find. Unassuming oh, yeah. because nobody starts it thinking, I'm going to become a better person. They think that, oh, I'm going to look better or whatever. But you learn a lot through that process. And I'm sure you learn this through the five years of exercise. You learn acceptance because at some point you're like, okay, uh, I'm not going to look like that person on the magazine because I have different genetics, but that's okay. Yes, I'm going to keep doing it. You also learn um, how to fail and suck at something because the process of exercise, especially especially with strength training, you try a new exercise, you're not good at it, but you stick to it, and so you kind of you kind of learn the process of like, oh, I just got to practice. I'm going to suck at it, but that's okay. I'm going to keep practicing. I'm going to get better. You also learn a different relationship with pain, like. Uh, when you first started working out, you remember how it would feel to work out and shake and be like, oh my God, it's almost (laughs) unbearable. And now you still feel the same pain. You've just developed a different relationship. If anything, you probably feel more pain now because you probably work out harder, but it's a different relationship to it, right? Yeah. You also probably have learned to love the journey itself. In other words, you like the workout for the workout, right? Which means you'll always do it. You're never going to want to stop because... the the results are a side effect of the fact that you love the process um, and the journey. So it's really, really cool. Um, You know, on strength training, one thing I'd like to communicate that I think is such a powerful point is the hormone effects uh, that strength training can induce in the body. It's the only form of exercise that encourages a youthful hormone profile. Okay. No other form of exercise does this. Now, other forms of exercise may do this indirectly by improving your health, but strength training does this directly because when you do strength training, what you're telling your body to do primarily is to build strength and build muscle. Now, think of the hormones associated with building strength and building muscle. Well, in both men and women, it's testosterone. And I, and I want to say this, testosterone is just as important in women as it is in men. You guys just have lower amounts of it. Just like estrogen is important in men as it is in women. We just have lower amounts. If a man has no estrogen, his health is terrible and he feels like crap and he's depressed. Just like if a woman has no testosterone, same thing. So testosterone for both men and women is responsible for libido, for drive, for focus, but it's also responsible to some extent for muscle and strength. So you start to see some slight elevations in testosterone, and you see your body utilizing the testosterone better by upregulating what are called androgen receptors. These are the receptors that testosterone attaches to to do its work. You also see growth hormone levels become more youthful. Why? Because growth hormone is an important hormone in the muscle building process. You also start to see cortisol balancing out. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Now, you need cortisol to be high in the morning to give you energy, but you want it to be low at night. Uh, to come down at night so you can get some sleep and when people are really stressed or have hormone imbalances you see cortisol levels that are the reverse or all over the place or elevated all the time well your body can't build muscle when cortisol is all over the place so if you send the signal to build muscle and you feed your body appropriately your body will organize its cortisol to allow that to happen you also start to see more insulin sensitivity okay you see a better balance of estrogen and progesterone in women. Estrogen, progesterone balance is very important in women. Imbalances in that can make you feel terrible. Balances in that can make you feel really good. So what happens is because your body is getting the signal to build strength and muscle, you also have to, by the way, fuel it properly. So you can't do this without starving yourself. You have to feed yourself. If you do this properly, what your body does is it takes its hormones and it organizes them in the muscle building way, which also happens to be the youthful hormone profile everybody wants it's the youthful hormone so when you do this process right you start to notice you feel i don't know these more youthful hormone profiles better libido better energy deeper sleep less anxiety uh your your hot cold tolerance is better so instead of feeling like you know oh my god it's freezing and then oh my god i'm hot much more balanced And it all through this kind of direct method of telling the body to build muscle. No other form of exercise does this directly.
0: That's so cool. Okay, you talked about fueling your body. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Is there anything else you want to touch on about cardio and maybe why that, again, is not the best way if people are looking to lose fat, lose weight, why it is strength training? Because I know for a lot of girlies when they're starting out, Cause I have a lot of, I have a lot of young 18 year olds, even some high schoolers where they're like, they just want to go to cardio and they think that's the answer, but let's hear it. Give your spiel of (laughs) why strength training again versus cardio. And we've already touched on it a little bit, but
1: yeah. So, so I want to be clear, all forms of exercise, if applied appropriately will improve are, are good. They'll improve your health. Okay. But cardio is the primary source or form of exercise for for weight loss especially if you're only going to exercise two or three days a week what it does is it encourages your body to become more efficient with calories so over time you actually slow your metabolism down and you'll actually start to pair muscle down and this makes fat loss uh much more hard uh, to maintain it makes it almost unsustainable okay so that's and also by the way with hormones if i'm telling my body to pair muscle down just like earlier i said your hormones will organize in, the, in a way to build muscle if I tell my body to lose muscle, they'll also organize themselves to do that as well. So you see, you'll see testosterone lowering in men and women, cortisol rising, growth hormone will be changing as well. So cardio uh, as the only form of exercise, especially when it comes to weight loss, especially in combination with calorie restriction can make things uh, very difficult. Okay. Resistance training doesn't do this. Actually, uh, It moves things in the direction of more sustainability as I explained um, earlier, Mm -hmm. now let's talk about feeding and fueling your body. Yeah. You, if you starve your body, your body will try to adapt by reducing the amount of calories that it burns. It will slow your metabolism down. Okay. It's almost, it's impossible to do what I'm saying. If you don't fuel your body appropriately, you have to feed your body to do this. So like, if I got a client who wanted to lose, let's say I got a client want to lose 40 pounds and they came to me and you know, I went through their goal assessment and they said, all right, Sal, I want to lose 40 pounds. Here's what I would tell them. This is what I used to tell my clients. Okay. You want to lose 40 pounds. Here's what we're going to do for the first three to four months. I want you to lose zero pounds. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure you have a good high protein intake. I want to keep your calories where they're at and maybe bump them a little bit because my goal is going to be to make you strong. I'm going to try and get you to get stronger in the gym and speed up your metabolism. Now, this doesn't mean nothing's happening because you don't lose any weight. What's probably going to happen is we're going to see a little transfer or trade of muscle to fat. So you'll lose some fat, gain some muscle. You're probably going to feel smaller. People are actually going to probably comment that you've lost a little bit of weight, but the scale is not going to move much. Once we build a solid metabolism and we see things moving in the right direction and I've got your calories to come up and we're strong in the gym, then we'll start to cut calories and then aggressively go after fat loss, but not until we've built that base. But if we do it right, you should be able to eat as much or more at the end of this process than you did uh, in the beginning. So you have to feed yourself. This is a very important message, especially to women. Women are afraid to feed themselves because they're always trying to be small. Um, You can do remarkable things. If you approach nutrition and exercise this way, like I've gotten women to, I had, you know, uh, just recently, I just got a message from uh, one of our listeners who listened to our advice, 130 pound female lean. She's built some strength, built some muscle. She's lifting weights three days a week, and that's it. On the other days, she just walks. She just makes sure to walk after breakfast, lunch, and dinner to keep herself active. That's it. She's eating 2,800 calories a day, and she's, if I I recall, I think she was 17% body fat. So for a woman, 17% body fat is sculpted. Like, you've got lines and some definition, and you look really good. Most women are happy in the low 20s. She's 17% body fat. 2,800 calories. That's more than the average man will eat. Like what a great place to be. Talk about flexibility. She goes on vacation. She or she goes and enjoys, self, enjoys herself with her friends or whatever. She doesn't worry about gaining all this excess weight because her body's burning it off naturally, but she couldn't have done it. Had she not fed her body and fueled the new metabolism that she's now built? It doesn't happen unless you do that. So what does this look like? Here's what it looks like. Prioritize protein. Protein uh, is essential for building muscle. You want to aim for about 0. 0.6 to one gram of protein per pound of body weight, unless you're obese, in which case I would use lean body mass. But for the average person, if you're 110 pounds, you want to eat about 75 to 110 grams of protein a day. Prioritize that, meaning eat that first in your meals. Yep. Number one. Number two, don't eat less calories than you were before keep your calories the same or slightly increase them by about a hundred calories. Okay. Wait, see how your strength responds. See how you feel when everything stabilizes bump them another hundred, go through this process until you get to the point where you say, man, I'm eating a lot of food in which case, and you feel strong, right? You see lots of strength gains. in which case now you're at a high position where you could cut your calories and then see fat literally melt off your body.
0: Yes. I, I, <laughs> i am screaming in my head at everything you're saying because this is what i tell my girls all the time so to have it echoed it means it means volumes a lot of girls will start with eating too little calories oh, yeah. they'll already start off at 1200 and they're like i'm not losing any more weight that's because you're barely eating anything you yes. have to repair and build your metabolism first and get to a decent point to even then start cutting so i yes I just, yeah, totally. I'm screaming. I'm Yeah, because what song. you
1: don't want to do is you don't want to be in this position where you're eating so little and then you've plateaued yeah. and you're like, I have another 10 pounds of body fat I want to lose. But you where can. do you go? Like, yeah. where do I go from there? Do I eat less? You know, at some point, you start to affect your hormones negatively. You're, you start to lose your hair. I've seen this in women many times, like hair loss libido gone, digestive issues pop up, bloat, constipation, because now they're, they're starting to develop, you know, immunity issues as a result, low energy, uh, relying on caffeine all day long, uh, you know, doing so much workouts. And and then you're like, where do I go from here? Do I go down to 800 calories? And then if I have the the crazy motivation to do that, can I do that forever? There's no way it's going to, and what happens when you go off? What happens when you go off on a weekend with your friends and you enjoy yourself a little bit? I gained eight pounds. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Right. You got to set yourself up for success. You have to build that foundation. It's not as hard as you think. It does take some patience, but if you do it, it's like building a house. Like yeah, if you've ever watched a house, if you've ever seen a house get built, at first, it looks like nothing's happening because they're building the foundation. So you show up and you sh- you go up a month later and then you go up you know, a few weeks later and you're like, what are they doing? And you're like, oh, I see a few few things in the ground. And it looks like they laid some concrete. And But then when the foundation is built, they start putting up the structure and then things start to happen faster and faster. Imagine if they didn't build the foundation. Imagine if they just put up a bunch of two by four, it would fall over. You'd be like, oh, wow, look, the house is getting built. And then a month later, like, oh, it fell over. What happened? Right. It's the same thing. So you got to set yourself up for success. Strength training is a very, very important part of that, of that formula. Oh, and here's again, here's more awesome things about strength training. You don't have to do it a lot because the value of strength training is not the calorie burn, but rather the adaptation. All you're doing is sending the signal two or three days a week is plenty. That's plenty for most. In fact, Two days a week is enough for most people because there's a lot you could do with that. There's a lot of, of, of changes to your workouts and programming you could do. Three days a week, I could take someone to a pretty damn advanced level with just three full body workouts a week. More than that, you're getting to pretty extreme levels. So the average person with a decent approach, especially the right approach, right? Two days a week, they could get really, really far. You can't say that really about other forms of exercise where you're relying on the calorie burn yeah. Uh, that, You know, where you means you have to do it all the time.
0: Yeah. What are your thoughts on some people are into cheat meals?
1: Yeah. I, um, I'm
0: somebody who I'm not into cheat meals because I, I just.
1: What are you I cheating guess, on? I guess what
0: I'm. To, I, yeah. What are you cheating on? And my other thought is why, why does it have to be labeled as that when.
1: It, you know what it does? You know, what it does. Bring, it encourages um a, a bad relationship with food.
0: Yeah.
1: Cheating implies you're off something what were you on to begin with Uh, some kind of a strict regimen of whatever like okay let's 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 break down food for a second yeah remember what i said earlier humans are emotional behavior based creatures we're not computers okay so remember that food although it is this is part of food calories proteins fats carbs vitamins minerals nutrients that's true but is that all food is? Are you kidding me? Go to Mexico, go see what they eat. Go to China, go see what they eat. Go to Italy, where my family's from, go see what they eat. Go to the grocery store and look up breakfast foods, lunch foods, dinner foods. What kind of foods that you, do you eat at the movies or what kind of foods do you eat at birthday parties? Do we eat because we're sad? Do we eat because we're happy? Do we use food to connect with the people around us? Do we derive other values from food? that have nothing to do with calories or macronutrients or vitamins or minerals. Yes, absolutely. This is why it's so hard to, this is why people have struggle with nutrition because we break it down to this inaccurate, simplistic, it's calories, proteins, cut your carbs or just eat meat or just eat that or do that. It doesn't work that way. The only sustainable long-term approach is to have a balanced approach to nutrition, cheat meals, is or having the concept of a cheat meal is not, is doesn't jive with that, right? That literally looks like here's my strict diet or here's what I eat and then I go off of it. No, all of it, yeah, is your diet. So what does this look like? What does this balance look like? Well, it means if I'm out with my friends, and let's say I go to my okay, I'll use a good example. I was at my aunt's house uh, last week and I hadn't seen her for about a month. I have a very close. Uh, a very close-knit family. I grew up, uh, I'm a first-generation American. My family's all from Italy, and so food is a big deal for us. Mm-hmm. I went to my aunt's house, and my aunt is an incredible cook, and she makes this uh, this uh, ravioli dish that, and it's all homemade. Like, she literally makes the pasta, and she's got the, the thing that she cuts them up, and it's like, it's incredible, right? And I never have it because it's, I never have, where, where are you going to have homemade ravioli? Never. Yep. So I went to her house, hadn't seen her for a month and she made homemade, these homemade ravioli, right? In that moment, you know, it was important for me. You know, it was important for my health, enjoying this meal with my aunt and my Mm -hmm. family because health is much more than just my physical body. It's also my relationships and my connect, all that stuff. Right now, does this also mean that at home on a day-to-day basis, when I'm going to eat that I go and make, you know, go and buy ravioli all the time? No, for the most part, I probably don't because what, my, what I'm going to value is, okay, food's going to nourish my body, make me feel good physically. But every once in a while, I'm going to enjoy it for its other values. That, that's what balance looks like. Here's what here's what else, what else it looks like. It means if, if somebody offers me a cookie or a slice of pizza, I may say, no, thanks. I don't want it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't know that I won't enjoy the flavor. Right. I know I'll enjoy the flavor just like I can. I'll, I'll guess that doing heroin might feel good considering how many people are addicted to it. But why don't I want to do heroin? Uh, I know it'll probably feel good. I've never done it before, but I, I'm sure it does. But I, I'm cool. I, I, I don't want to do it. Right. So when someone offers me a cookie in that moment, for the most part, what I'm going to value is my physical health. So I'll say, no, nah, no, nah, thanks. I don't want it. Well, don't you? It'll taste good. Well, I know it'll taste good, but I actually don't want it. Imagine if you wanted to eat in a way that nourished your health in its entirety. You have balance. What it doesn't look like is this. I eat on the diet and then I, instead of have one cookie, I eat a whole box because I yeah. cheat or I eat a whole pizza, right? Because I'm rebelling against myself. That's not balance. The balance comes from understanding all of the values that food provides us, understanding the complete sphere of health, which includes my relationships, my emotional state, my spiritual health, as well as my physical health, and then making judgments accordingly. And most of the time I'm going to eat foods that may be traditionally healthy, but there's gonna be times when I'm not because I'm feeding other parts of myself and I'm enjoying the whole time. That's the thing. I'm enjoying it the whole time. And believe me, and here's where people get confused. They think, well, what do you mean you enjoy broccoli? Like you enjoy, like the reason why people have struggled with that is because We've grown up, grown up, luckily, we've grown up in a society where food is so plentiful and so so plentiful and so um, inexpensive and accessible that we've really only learned to value food for its palatability. It's like how it tastes. That's what we value food for. Like, go out with your friends. Like, what do you want to eat for for lunch? And everybody's like, oh, Mexican. I don't feel like that. What about Chinese? Oh, maybe not. What about pizza? And you're all basing it off of its palatability. That's what we were raised to value. We don't understand all of the other values well if you if you start to understand it and start to pay attention and become aware what you'll end up finding is you'll start to value foods for other other things and then you'll start to crave them for those values for example when I travel it's really hard for me to eat a lot of well-cooked vegetables it's just you go to restaurants and typically they don't they don't have them right when I come home that's what I want to eat I want to eat a lot I want to eat a nice bowl of well-cooked vegetables And I actually enjoy it. Now, is it taste, does it have the same value as pizza? No, it's got a different value, but that doesn't mean I value it any less, right? So you can do this through this practice and this process of developing a good relationship nutrition. And at the end of it is balance because healthy nutrition should not be stressful. There's a lot of people in our space and fitness that eat, you know, quote unquote, perfect, uh, but they have a very unhealthy relationship to food. It's counting macros and calories and it has to fit and it's, if it's not, I'm stressed out and oh my God, I'm going vacation. What am I going to eat? And I got to bring my food with me. That's also unhealthy. That's also not a a healthy, long-term sustainable uh, relationship nutrition. Food should feel relaxed. It should feel balanced and whatever you're eating, it should be your choice. Not like you're being forced. You should feel like this is what I want because it's what I value.
0: If somebody's trying to rebuild that relationship with food, maybe they have gone, you know, they've been tracking macros, tracking calories, they're really attached to that, they're attached to that, value that worth. How would you direct them to having a more natural approach to eating food?
1: Slowly. So it starts slowly. You have to start very, very slow with the uh the, the breaking the chain or breaking the link of um of that process. So let's say you track every single day. I would go one day where I don't track. Okay. And I would try to relax around it and become aware of your feelings. How do I feel um, now before I eat? How do I feel while I eat? How do I feel after? Do I feel anxious? Do I feel stressed? Uh, Do I feel happy, sad? Um, What are the foods that are going to fuel me? You also don't want to fall into the trap of impulse eating because sometimes when people go off tracking to them, it's like, uh, like, Oh, here we go. Yeah. You know, I can go off this thing. So what you want to do is you want to identify the foods that trigger those impulses for you and create some barriers between you and the impulsive action. So let's say, let's say uh, potato chips. That's mine, right? Let's say potato chips is something that you have an impulse Uh, Or you tend to impulsively eat. Like if there's chips near me, I'm going to eat them and I'm going to end up eating the whole bag. Well, one thing that I'll do is I won't tell myself I'm not going to have potato chips. I just don't have them in the house. And then I'll say, if I want them, I'll drive to the store and get myself a serving of potato chips. And what that does is, number one, I'm not restricting myself, but I'm creating space between me and the impulsive uh, behavior. So it's giving me time to become aware because... A lot of the the negative behaviors we tend to have around food are at a lower state of awareness. They're at a lower state of awareness. Like, think of the last time we've all done this. Think of the last time you just uh, overate something, like you binged on something. Right? I use the word binge lightly because I know that there's a medical uh, definition for it, but I'm talking about in the you know how we commonly use it. Think of the last time you did that. You ate so many Oreo cookies or whatever. And afterwards you're like, Oh, my stomach hurts. Why did I do that? But your stomach actually started hurting about 10 cookies ago. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So that's a lower sense. It's a lower state of awareness, right? So what we want to do is bring awareness by creating barriers between you and the action. Another thing you can do is not eat while distracted. So no phone, no TV. uh, You know, it's just you and your food studies have actually shown people will eat about 10%, 15% less calories uh, doing that. Another thing you do is not drink any fluids while you eat forcing you to chew your food. Right. Mm-hmm. That also reduces a lower, uh, caloric intake, but it's a slow process because people who are super addicted to or tied to macro counting, you got to go one day at a time. Cause it can be very stress inducing. I mean, I've yeah. done this with people. It's like, I don't know what to do. You know what they'll do. They'll, they'll be like, okay, today I'm not counting macros and they'll eat the exact same meal that they always eat.
0: And they just sit in the back of their head.
1: Yeah. Yes. So I'll give them instructions. Okay. Today, no counting macros. We're going to eat intuitively and you're not allowed to eat what you eat normally. So you got to pick other stuff Yeah. Uh, and try to not count the calories and macros in your head as you're doing that type of deal. Yeah. So it is a slow process, but it is a skill and it is a, it's a relationship. Okay. So it's like, it's like building any other relationship. It takes time. Give yourself a little bit of time to do this. And what you may need to do is you'll go one day, two days, three days, Oh no, I, I I went on a, it looked like a cheat day or whatever. Okay, let's go back to tracking and let's go back to just one day and then two days and three. Oh, now I made it four days and five days and it's this process and you build upon it.
0: And you mentioned intuitive eating. Do you want to give any tips or what's your take on intuitive eating?
1: Intuitive eating. First off, I know people laugh at that because they think, what do you mean intuitive eating? Like yeah. intuitively, I just want to lay on the couch and eat, you know, donuts all day long. <laughs> It has to come from a place of um, awareness and knowledge. So I can't intuitively eat unless I ha- unless I really understand, you know, the full concept and understanding of food and its values and how I feel and how I react to food and all that stuff, right? So um, you have to start from there. So number one, you should know proteins, fats, carbs, and calories. That's kind of level one. Number two how you tend to eat when you're under different states or emotions, stressed, bored. I'm a boredom eater. Right? I'm a big boredom. If I'm bored, I want to eat right. Yeah. Boredom or distract. Do I distract myself? Am I sad or happy? You know, start to become aware of that stuff. Also become aware of how foods affect you start to connect the dots. So I love eating this, but it gives me heartburn. Or this makes my skin break out a little bit. Or it gives me some digestive issues. Or I sleep worse at night when I eat this way. So become aware of all of these things. And through that awareness, then you can start to make choices and decisions that are better for yourself. Then it becomes more intuitive. At first, it becomes uh, consciously aware. And then later on, it becomes unconsciously aware. Right? So, So real quick, there's four stages of learning. And this is the process of intuitive eating. The first stage is unconscious incompetence. Okay. So what that means is you don't know what you don't know. So think of the first time you did a personal training certification. You went in there thinking you knew some stuff, like I know exercise. And then you went in and you, you open the book and you're like, oh, I don't know any of this stuff. So now you're, you went from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence. Okay. I don't know a lot of stuff. I'm aware that I don't know a lot of stuff. But then you learn it and then you move to conscious competence. I have to consciously think about the stuff that I've learned and put it into play. But then if you do that long enough and you practice that long enough, then you move to unconscious competence. It's natural. So like think of a child, right? You have it. You said you have a two year old. So I have Mm -hmm. a, uh, I have a 17 month old. So they're close in age. When you watch them first start to walk they have to consciously think about every step you watch them and they're like balancing. And how am I doing this? They're consciously competent, but then eventually they practice enough to where they get up and walk. Just like we do. Like, I don't think, do you think about every step? I never, I don't think about every step. I just walk. Right. Yeah. Unconscious competence. So that's what intuitive eating is. It's unconscious competence. It's I feed myself in ways that, that really fuel my health, but in the, in the entire entirety of the sphere of health, just like I said before, and it's, it's balanced uh, as a result.
0: Yeah. Cause it includes physical, emotional, spiritual, you know, social, all of it. It's more than just how you look and exactly what's in the food. You even said it's more than just your carbs, fats, proteins, there's social events and everything. That's all part of health, healthy living, in our lives. And I feel bad. Anytime somebody misses out on events or feels guilty about that all the time, people will say, Oh, I had too much birthday cake or whatever it is. I had a night out. They're always saying, and this is another myth we can bust. If they have one night out, is that going to ruin everybody's results?
1: No. And don't, so, and don't treat, and don't treat your exercise like a punishment because what do people tend to do after that? Oh, I ate that burrito yesterday. I'm going to go beat myself up in the gym.
0: Got to burn it off.
1: If you want to stop exercise, if you want to get to a point where you hate exercise, treat it like a punishment. Nobody likes punishing themselves. Exercise is self-care. Do not develop a relationship with exercise where it's a punishment because eventually you'll stop. Eventually you'll stop. You know why you'll stop? Because you just want to enjoy your life. You ever heard that?
0: Yep.
1: Hey, why did you stop working out? Oh, I just want to enjoy my life. Huh? Doesn't make sense. Exercise improves your health. and improves your life. But to them, it didn't because it was a punishment. Exactly. Right. But no, that one day isn't going to hurt you. And of course, be kind and empathetic to yourself. You know, I like to tell people this. Take care of yourself the way that you would take care of someone you cared about. You know, like your kid, like you have a child. How would you feed your child if your kid walks up to you and says, I want to have a cookie every single day? Most days you'll say no. Some days you'll say yes. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have a cookie every once in a while. Every day, probably not. Not good for you. But every once in a while, it's okay. We got to treat ourselves that way as well. So if you do that, I think you'll be okay because you'll be more empathetic. Ah, that was a tough day. I was stressed out. I overdid it. You know, I overate or whatever. Okay, today's a new day. I'm going to take care of myself instead of, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish myself.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Well, I always end every podcast with what is one thing you would tell your younger self? Mm. What would you tell young, young Sal?
1: You know, this is tough because I don't know if Young Sal would have listened. Uh, but <laughs> that's just regardless, being, just being quite honest with you, um, I would say exactly what I just said right now. Take care of yourself like somebody you, you take care of you, the way you would take care of someone that you really cared about. I think that that's that piece of advice right there. If you if you if you really do it well, anytime you make a decision and you say, "Okay, what would I tell my loved one to do here? What would I tell my child?" in this in this situation what would i tell my friend in this situation you're you're better at giving advice to other people than you are to yourself and you're more likely to make the right decision so that piece of advice right there I would tell myself would i have listened that's a whole other story
0: <laughs> well i love even in your book you mention that like self-love takes you further than self-hate so oh. just
1: self-hate is um it's very motivating in the short term but nobody wants to i, I remember when that first really came to me i was it was years ago I was at an event um, uh, with my ex-wife and she worked for a tech company. So it was like a, I think it was a Christmas dinner and we were sitting at a table with her employees. And so these are all tech people, right? So not, not, this is not a fitness industry (laughs) dinner or whatever. And so people are introducing themselves and, Oh, you know, Hey Sal, so what do you do? And I'm like, Oh, I'm a personal trainer. And immediately when you say that in a non-fitness setting, especially when there's food involved, people immediately feel judged or pay attention to what you're eating or whatever, So, and I got it. I I was used to it. So it's like, oh, oh, you know, I'm a trainer. I was like, oh, no, don't pay attention to the bread I'm eating. Or, oh, this is only my first glass of wine. Or they make jokes, right? So it's like, okay, no, no problem. So we're, we're hanging out and we're having a good time and people are starting to drink. So they're loosening up. And this woman sitting across from me, she goes, you know, Sal, she goes, I had a friend who was a fanatic with exercise, nutrition. She got cancer when she was 50 and she died. And you know, when that happened, I just said, hell with it. I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to do any of that stuff. And I sat there for a second and I said, look, I can understand where you're coming from, but if you do it right, it improves the quality of your life. There's no guarantees how, how long you'll live. Um, you know, I could walk out of here and get in the car and get in a car accident. I said, but it does in- improve the quality of your life as it is. And it's taking care of yourself. It sounds like you view exercise as punishment. And, you know, she paused, and I think I I think I was able to resonate with her. Um, that's, that's what happens when you talk to people and you say, hey, what happened with your diet or what happened with your workout? And they say, I just want to enjoy myself. It's because they were restricting themselves because of self-hate. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm not good enough. I'm too skinny. I'm too weak, whatever. Um, it's because they treated exercise as a punishment for those same reasons. They go to the gym and beat themselves up. They look at food and they don't say, I don't want that. They say, I can't have that. Very different. Yes. It's very different to say, I don't want it versus I can't. Who can't? Of course you can. Who are you talking to? Yourself. Who are you oppressing? Yourself. It's like you're a dictator talking to your young version of you. You naughty person who eats shitty. You can't eat this. You know. No wonder you rebel. No wonder you break free and you say, I'm done with this. Right. So it has to come from self-care and self-love. Self-hate doesn't last. Eventually you, you'll you rebel and rebelling doesn't look like you just went off. It looks like you went in the opposite direction. Nobody Definitely. rebels by eating one slice of pizza. They do it by eating a whole pizza.
0: Yep, exactly. Oh, well, this has been really fun. Honestly, thank you so much for coming on my podcast and sharing everything. It's It's been really insightful for me and it's been really insightful, I know, for everybody listening.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. you. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it.
0: Do you want to share where everybody can find you? you yeah. If you platform. want to find
1: me personally, you can find me on Twitter at mind pump Sal, but uh, really the best place to find me is on the podcast. It's uh mind pump. You can find mind pump on any um, podcast platform or the top fitness podcast in the world. And it's a combination of uh, entertainment um, and fitness information. And we talk to people, uh, like real people so we're not talking although we have a large audience of trainers we're not in an echo chamber we're talking about things that actually make make sense things that you should pay attention to we don't split hairs I don't care about the little things it's like these are the big things that make the biggest difference and in very similar ways you hear me how I communicated on this podcast is how we communicate on that show so you can just find like I said you can find us anywhere and then the book that I wrote is called The Resistance Training Revolution and you can find that um, anywhere they sell books.
0: I've loved reading it.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: That's all for today's episode.
1: Been a lot of fun. I appreciate it.
0: See you all next week for some more fun and games. Bye. You're listening to the Fun and Games podcast with your host, Brittany Lupton. Thanks for listening to another episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review this podcast and we'll see you all next time for some more fun and games. Bye. I'm